Hello listener, it's the host of Campbell's Football's Grant Campbell here, with a message to every one of you listening to this podcast. Please keep safe during this very stressful time with the outbreak of coronavirus affecting not just football, but our everyday lives. Make sure your friends and family are safe during this very stressful time for many of us, not just physically, but mentally too. But Campbell's Footballs will still be producing podcasts. However, there will be very few predictions because obviously there's not much football going on at the moment. I have a few in-conversation specials though, which I'm sure you would love to listen to. But at the end of the day, please make sure that you look after yourselves. Take the time to listen to the show in your own home, with friends and family. And remember that we are all in this together. So take care, be safe, and I'll see you soon. So I'm back for another episode of the podcast that everybody is listening to at the moment, Campbell's Footballs. I'm joined by another ex-football player, but a guy who's done quite a lot in the game, both in Scotland and down south, uh, Danny Granger. Danny, a warm welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having us. No, I'm looking forward to having a chat to you about your career and your journey through football today. Uh, first of all, uh, how are you keeping during the coronavirus activity at the moment? Uh, very busy, very busy. I've got a young family, obviously my, my son's eight and my daughter's five, so uh, plenty of homeschooling, uh, stuff like that, and then obviously trying to keep them, them busy as well. So the little fella's mad into his football and yeah. uh, he's wanting to be out in the back garden, in the back field, doing football <laughs> things and stuff like that yeah. as possible. And my daughter's mad into the gymnastics, so I've nearly mastered a handstand now, so we're getting there as well. <laughs> Ah, oh, brilliant. Is it tough to keep them sort of entertained during this period of time? Because obviously they would be at school at this time, but it's uh, really unprecedented times we're in, obviously. Yeah, we've actually been in isolation ourselves for two weeks. We, uh, My little fellow had a cough, so obviously we followed the government guidelines and stayed oh, at home. Mm-hmm. Thankfully he was okay, mm-hmm. just a mild cough and things like that. But um, yeah, I mean, keeping, keeping them busy. They're both very active kids, to be honest with you. They're both very... Um, Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really interested personally to learn about your career because you've had a, a wonderful time in Scotland, but you also have had a really good time at Carlisle United as well. And I want to explore that a little bit further in this podcast. But my first question, and I always ask this to every guest I get off on the show, is what made you want to go into football in the first place? What made you take that leap? Um, I think obviously when I was younger, um, we, uh, my dad, I grew up on a farm and my, my dad, um, and myself used to always kick around the ball around the around the farm or in the back garden things like that. So obviously, I, I had a passion for football straight away. Mm. I grew up in a, in a village out in the countryside that there was about maybe fifteen or sixteen youngsters in that village at the time, all similar ages, maybe a two or three year gap. And 
my dad actually had a field um, in the middle of the village and he, he sectioned a little bit off to make a, a seven-a-side pitch and, and we used to just spend hours upon hours in there as kids. Sorry, it would be it would be dark before we got home. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that was one of, one of the biggest passions I had as well. Yeah. No, I think that's quite interesting to know because I think it seems to be very different from some ex-professional football players as to what their passions were. Seems like your your dad was a big influence in in your starting of your career, and other people had obviously different influences. Yeah, I think everyone's got very different influences right the way through the period. Whether it was someone that caught their eyes. Um, or whether it was someone that, um, someone with a family member, was it an older brother, things like that. So, again, mine was always was my dad. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, I had a kick about a lot around with, and then um, my, well, again, it was um, he was a big influence on me as both my parents were right the way through the early parts of my career. Yeah. I just wanted to, to sort of explore your, your career in, in a bit more depth because it started at Gretna and Gretna for a very good spell in the sort of early to mid-2000s really were a bit of a story that everyone in Scottish football really got on the horse of and really enjoyed. Yeah, Gretna was very special. Um, I, I actually left Cal United when I was 14 years old. Um, I was in the centre of excellence there and I was released from there. I went back to local football and I was actually at Queen of the South uh, when um, I was 15, 16 and they offered me back then, they offered me a C form which was obviously a, a part-time um, youth contract with, with Queen of the South. Um, just as I'd been offered that on the, I think that was the Monday night, I got offered a trial by an old coach at Gretna. Uh, they were doing a full-time scholarship uh, things like that and I got invited to a trial night there um, I, I, took, I took the opportunity to do the trial night and straight after the game uh, the manager Rowan Alexander and Derek Fry pulled me in straight after the game and said look we, we want to offer you a scholarship now um, it, we don't have to see anymore um, will you sign for us so it was a, obviously it was, a, it was a big decision for me to make I was actually coming out of school um, obviously I I was a, I was a, a, I was lad that I wasn't really interested in going to school very often. It was even going to be football or farming for me, and that's what that's what it was yeah. for me. And um, again, that was something that I had to sit down with my parents and talk about: Does it go into full time football, or do I go into part time football? And I always felt that I needed to give full time football an opportunity, and that's why I took the opportunity at Gretna. And obviously, as you say, that was the start of what everyone seen as the, as the dream and I can't speak high enough of the people like Brown Alexander, Brooks Mars and all them types of people that were able to give me a start in what obviously I turned out to be a blessed and lucky career for myself. Yeah, it was a fantastic journey. I, I mean, I, there were some great memories I have of greatness, particularly the time that they reached the Scottish Cup final, uh, obviously losing to Hearts on penalties, but, but what a story. You mentioned Rowan Alexander and obviously Brooks Mileson made a, a really big uh, effort at uh, Gretna now, what were they like as characters in and around Gretna? Um, Raoul was a very, um, what you call old school. Um, he was very demanding. Um, little things, I mean, we, as a as scholarship, uh, we had a college in a, 
in the afternoon and we trained in the morning for three days and then the other, the other times we had to make sure that we were doing our jobs and that was cutting the pitches, painting the walls. If it was winter, we were putting the frost sheets over the first team pitch so when they came in at night because the first team weren't all full-time to start with, we were part-time, making sure the training area was ready. Um, I mean, packing the kit, washing the kit from the weekends. We yeah. had all them sort of duties to do and if anything wasn't done right, Obviously, it was it was old school punishment, and it was a running session. So, yeah. <laughs> Rowan, the amount of times we used to say Rowan was very hard on us, but since speaking to our youth team from back then, now it actually he's instilled so many good foundations into some youngsters yeah. there that you, you don't see anymore. You don't see youngsters washing kits. You don't see what youngsters washing boots anymore. It's yeah. a case of all those where's the kit man at? That was our job. I mean, one of our youngsters. Uh, I was quite lucky that I travelled with the first team from quite an early age and was there most times and we played East Stirling away on a Tuesday night and someone had forgot to pack the slips for the first team and the next day it was absolute torture (laughs) we got tortured so I mean little things like that were Yes, you look back and you think, you know, wow, that was ridiculously hard and harsh on us. But it was a case of, it, it yeah. was your job, it was your responsibility. And if you couldn't do that sort of responsibility, what chance would you have of doing a responsibility on the pitch? Yeah. So, um, I mean, Raoul was very good in, to me. He, was, he, he gave me all the foundations to become a better player and things like that as well. Um, and Brooks, Brooks was, I'll never forget Brooks. It was... Um, one of the first times he came in and Rowan shouted me into his office and introduced me into Brooks and Rowan had said to Brooks this is going to be our, one of the players that we, we have quite a good youth team so this is going to be one of our players that we're going to sell and, and make good money off and Brooks said oh are you, are you that good son and I, obviously you don't want to ever say yes but he said can you do me a favour I need a big favour off you and I, Obviously, he said yes, and he said, "Can you run down to the shop for me and get me twenty fags?" So <laughs> I went. I went down to the shop, and when you're a YTS, you've got a, a wage of fifty to sixty pounds a week. And yeah. Martin handed me this fifty pound note, and I looked at it as if yeah. it was like I'd won, won the lottery. So I went down, got his fags, came back up, and he went to give him his fags. Went to give him his change, and I think it was about forty-two quid. And he just said, "He says, no, you keep that, son. That's that's your tip." And then just he wasn't being flash of it it was just how thankful he was yeah. uh, Brooks used to wait to make sure every youngster was safe on the buses when they're going home um, he used to take there was four of us that travelled from Carlisle up to Gretna he, and he lived just outside Carlisle he'd always drop us back into the train station after yeah. after training as well and that was the type of man he was he would go he'd go over and beyond and that's why Gretna got to where they were yeah and they, they had a fantastic journey I mean some of the players that you played with at Gretna who were the real standout players for you? I think when you're looking back and you look at the likes of Alan Nain and, and Davy Bingham, Derek Townsley, um, Jan McQuilkin, these type of players that have all played at top top level, uh, coming to Little Old Gretna, and again that that was in, that was another side of it that we'd never seen before as um, as youngsters because you were training with the first team. And they put that real demand on that every session was like a cup final, and that's yeah. why again they were able to be successful. You see a lot of these teams now throw money around, but if you don't recruit the right people, it doesn't always make mean that you're going to be successful. And, yeah. and Rowan did recruit the right people because they were all very demanding day in day out, and probably like you say, we all know they were taking 
coaching what level they were playing had to come and play at Gretna mm-hmm. um, which was probably financially better for them at times and, and again that was um, for them to come and drop down the division but did still be able to hold the yeah. standards that they had at the Premiership teams it, it was testament to them as players as well Yeah I mean Alan Main an, an outstanding goalkeeper throughout the years as well I mean, how much sort of insight and experience does that give he obviously had players like James Grady who played as well Kenny Duker was scoring loads of goals surely that breeds a, a, a bit of confidence in the team as well Yeah I mean you had all them players that you just said were all good people you could go and approach you could ask them advice you had the likes of Gavin Skelton the Richie Procasses people that have been down in England and Carlisle and gone on and done really well in their careers and they were the type of people that you could literally go and speak to whenever you wanted and pick the brains and uh, and things like that but they also let you know that remember that they were the first team lads and you were still a youth team and that's again something that you've got away from now in first team dressing rooms is that everyone's on an equal plate and things like that so it was never it's, it was more of a reward then when you stepped up into that first team dressing room that you that was your reward for doing so well in the youth team so yeah. again it's um, when you look at the, the list of players that they've had through the gates of Gretna the standard of players and how good they've been yeah. it's, um, again it, it's a fairy tale when you look back at it You, me- you mentioned obviously that um, Rowan Alexander was a, a hard taskmaster was there any guys in the Gretna dressing room that like to have a little bit of a fun a little bit of a prank on people was or who, who liked a bit of a laugh? To be honest with you, Alan May, like you say, as much as he was very serious on the pitch, him and Derek Townsley and uh, likes of James Grady were, were all characters. Yeah. Uh, and they were all they were all people that, that they just seemed to love coming into work and, and playing football at Gretna and they seemed to really enjoy the dressing room banter with each mm-hmm. other. And, um, it was some, some really good times and yeah I mean when you look at the likes of Alan May and you look at him how serious he comes across mm. but he did enjoy a good laugh when it was behind uh, closed doors as well yeah. yeah did you feel playing for a club like Gretna that when you came up against a, an Aberdeen or a Celtic or a Rangers or a Hibs etc that the pressure was all on them and there was no real pressure on yourselves yeah I think obviously the the team and the squad that we had in the lower divisions um, probably should have been the one that replicated us in the in the first division of the SPL to be honest with you I mean we were signing players from Aberdeen I think Stevie Tosh came from Aberdeen yes. James Grady came from Dundee United um, uh, Alan May came from St Johnson these are all players that should have been playing SPL football when we got to the SPL and unfortunately we were obviously going through a bad time at that point where we were uh, in financial difficulty mm-hmm. and we went into the season with a lot of youngsters yeah. and unfortunately we fell short but um, again like you say these when you go against these teams lower down the divisions I think Dundee United came to us in a cup night and just beat us 4-3 they were in the SPL that time and yeah. um, Hibs I think we drew with Hibs at Easter Road uh, so the pressure was always on them and yeah. that, that was a good thing for us but Again, on the other flip side of it, everyone was talking about Gretna because we were this team, this little team coming through the divisions that people wanted to get one over yeah. them as well. And did playing at a ground like Raydale? I mean, I, I've no experience. I've never played. I've been at, or been to Green uh, Raydale. What was it? What's it like as a ground? Because you know, it, it, we held I think roughly about five thousand people or something maximum, and it's a very quaint yeah, place. Mean, it was. It was a. It was an old school ground. Terrace right the way around, probably no more than 50, 60 seats um, in the in the little stand. Uh, higher up the divisions we got, we knocked down one of the terraces. Um, I put a big temporary stand behind the goal, um, and 
we put the other, we were going to do that at the other end as well. But unfortunately, that was when the financial difficulties hit us. Yeah. And we ended up knocking down and putting the the grass behind the goals, and it just became an extended area. Yeah. Um, and I think, obviously, when we were in the first division, it was great because we played all our home games at Radio. But as soon as we got to the SPL, we had to move to Motherwell, and yes, that, that's right. that had its own. That had its own challenges in itself. That your fans, you, you were going to a stadium that wasn't your own. You were also playing in front of very little fans, mm-hmm. um, and again, it became a difficult game. Not just for an away team, but for us being the home team as well. So yeah. I think obviously when you when you speak to teams, I mean, um, something I always allude to is that when I look at Scotland, Aberdeen is always classed as a hard place to go. Yeah. It's always classed that way. Ross County is the same, and Vanessa is the same because it's up. It, it's away from everything. It's, yeah. it's up. It's up more of a travel. Uh, it's the same when I was at Carlisle, and even now when I'm managing at work, and we're the furthest north. People should hate coming up that far. Yeah. Uh, and that's why you can be successful with it and using that side. And that should have been the flip side of us at Gretna. People should have hated having to come all the way down to Gretna to play us. And uh, unfortunately, when it was Motherwell, it was on people's doorsteps and it was playing at a nice big stadium and there was no real shock to them. What's your greatest memory of playing for Gretna? The last, that last day up in uh, Ross County. Um, obviously, I think we need, I think we needed three points to win the league. Out of, I, I don't even know. I think it was our last four games, and, and we lost three of them. And we went up to Ross County, knowing that we needed a win because um, we knew St Johnson were at Hamilton. If St Johnson had won. We actually delayed our kick-off because um, there was some issues with the fans getting through the gates. So we were a 10-minute delay behind the, the kick-off. So it was, there was a helicopter sat um, at Perth. It was either going to go down to Hamilton for St. Johnson or it was going to come all the way up to Ross County. Yeah. Uh, St. Johnson had won. We were drawing two all with a minute to go. Gets in daddy time. James Grady bangs the winner in. and that, I mean, that feeling there, obviously, is just something that you, you can't, if you want to win a league, you want to win it. Win the league, the last kick of the game, Absolutely. and the last season. So uh, that is obviously an amazing memory for me personally. A fantastic story at Gretna. Obviously, it didn't end well. I mean, do you still have personal memories of of of, of that time? Yeah, obviously. I mean, Gretna gave me my chance. It gave me a foot on the on the ladder. And again, if I hadn't got to the SPL with Gretna, would I have played? Had the career that I've had? I, who knows? No one knows. But it gave me a foot in in the door it got me onto the top platform in Scotland and it gave me an opportunity to move on to, to bigger clubs and again I, I can't speak higher of everything that went through at Gretna yeah and obviously your next move is to Dundee United I mean that's a, a, a bit of a step up in my opinion Dundee United a, a very established Scottish Premiership side obviously in the Championship at home but hopefully we'll head back up to the big time whenever this or hopefully with this coronavirus eases up soon what was it like playing for a club like Dundee United <laughs> very um, real that you were a footballer mm. um, I think obviously at Gretna there wasn't many people around and things yes. like that but when you go into places uh, like um, up at Dundee um, you're going into the shops and people are stopping you for pictures and it was all a shock to me I mean I got a, we got a real close bunch of friends in a, in a little estate just outside Dundee uh, John Daly Craig Conway Willow Flood Sean Dillon Noel mm-hmm. Hunt all these guys who I'm still very close with now and yeah. we lived in a, in a little village outside Dundee we'd go out for meals and people would be stopping you oh can I have a picture and that was all very surreal because I'd never had it mm-hmm. these lads had all had it because they'd been at big clubs before and yes. obviously um, one of the first things that uh, Craig and Houston said to me when I signed was make sure you 
seen in public as well as hiding away obviously make sure you're professional but don't think you can't go out but make sure you, that you're, you're professional about it because mm-hmm. if you're not you'll soon be found out Absolutely. about it so again that was something that I had to be very wary of as well and and who were they they, they obviously mentioned some of the players there like Craig Conway and stuff like that were they guys that really made you feel part of that set up at United? Yeah, I think obviously I was very lucky in the fact that uh, Derek Fry, who was my assistant manager at Gretna in my early days, um, was had a big connection with Air United and um, was part of the club when Craig Conway got sold to Dundee United. Uh, and he kind of had a word with him prior to me moving up and said that, look, make sure you stick out. But the longer you went on, the longer I was at the club, it wouldn't have mattered even if... Derek hadn't said anything because the bunch of people that were there at the club were fantastic and mm-hmm. it, it was a real it was a real family club that they made sure you were looked after left, right and centre they made sure that um, the players the families the wives everybody mixed together and, and it became very close knit between everybody not just the players um, there was Lee Wilkie was there Absolutely. Darren Dodge people like that so again it was all very much based around having a good close knit community amongst ourselves and obviously with the likes of Craig Levine as manager yeah. and Peter Houston who have a great relationship and bounce off each other so well um, it, it obviously it worked really well and that's why the, the club was successful getting to the to the final of the uh, Scottish League Cup I yeah. think it was that Cup. year yeah. um, so again that was something that, that, that that played out just like that, really. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, Craig Levine and Peter Houston. How different, uh, kind of tactically in awareness, were they to Rowan Alexander at Gretna, who you had previously? Were they were they more flexible, or were they were they very different? I think obviously with with Rowan, I had a connection with him because I was I came through the door as a sixteen year old, and um, I, was, I was very close to um, to Rowan and, and, and Derek down there, and going up to. Dundee United it was very different because Craig's if anybody knows Craig he's very not standoffish but until you get into um, knowing how to work how to work with him he, mm-hmm. he's very he's got a bit of a fear factor about him and, yeah. and that's, yeah, that's what's probably made him very very successful and I think him and Houston had the perfect relationship because mm-hmm. Houston was the one that you knew that you could approach you knew you could go and talk to if you had an issue Yeah, and something that I've learned obviously the older I've got is that not everything that you say to an assistant manager has to get back to a manager Um, and that sometimes means you can vent yourself a little bit more and I think Houston and Craig had that relationship down to a T um, and probably moving on so as do Del and Doc at uh, Aberdeen now who all worked with at St Johnson I think their relationship's vital to how each other play, uh, yeah. play out so again I think obviously Craig was very very good he was, his tactical his tactics and things like that were, were successful while he was at Dundee United and, and again that's the reason why again he's, he went on to uh, manage the national team yeah absolutely I mean well, before we move on to St Johnston who was, who was the best player you played with in that team at Dundee United because there were some big players around about that time I think it was, it's very hard to see the one best one. I think obviously when we had such a close knit group, I mean you go through the team, you have, you have myself, Darren Dodds, Lee Wilkie, Sean Dillon, Willow Flood, um, Magaro Gomez, Prince Bourbon, Craig Conway, John Daly, Noel Hunt, mm-hmm. players like that. They're, they're all very good players in their own right. Yeah. I think obviously um, as a group it worked really well. Um, yeah, Danny Sponson coming into the team as well, Jim O'Brien. So it was quite a young, a young squad, and um, I think obviously, I think the importance of uh, the likes of Craig Conway, John Daly, mm-hmm. uh, Willow Flood, especially to the team, and how successful yes. they were, was evident 
through the next few seasons. Yeah. You then made your move to St Johnston. Um, did you did you feel that was a, a good move at the time? I wanted to know the reason why you moved from United. Yeah. Well, what had happened was that um, yeah, the, the, the the previous season, um, Craig Houston brought in another left back. Um, Christian had actually left us and, and moved on and, and brought in Paul Dixon mm-hmm. um, and again Dick, Dicker came in I was suspended for the first two games of the season and Dicker came in and played them and was absolutely tremendous and to be fair to him looking back you, you can't say anything mm-hmm. negative about that season because Craig was right in what he's done he, he picked the best player every week and he was one of our best players and that's why he's got his move on to Huddersfield after yep. that and, um, it was a case of I just wanted to play football and um, I think at the time Dundee United were trying to sign Andy Webster they were needing to free up a bit of space um, I lived in like I, say, I lived in this village just outside Dundee which was halfway between Dundee and Perth and it was ideal really yes. so St Johnson St Johnson was a, seemed like a no-brainer to me and Again, as soon as Dell and Doc um, asked the question and Craig said it was fine for me to leave, then obviously I left Dundee and it felt like it was the right time to move. And I, Again, I have no, no feelings to Dundee United or Craig or yeah. Peter Houston because I think it was the right thing for both them and me to do and it was a case of them going and playing with football elsewhere. When you have that competition for a specific position like left by which you played, uh, does that make you really determined to try and keep that position or does, is it competition healthy in that regard? Do you like that? that competition? Yeah, I think you've got I think you've got a habit. I think there's a there's an ease to slip into complacency more if you if you don't have competition and that's um, at any level I think obviously when you look at the best squads in the world they've all got competition in mm. every place and I think um, in certain squads the way you want to play you've got to have competition because um, if you're playing with wide players and you, you're wanting a lot of delivery and if someone's slipped off their standards yeah. have you got someone ready to step in for, the, for that place if you don't then the whole puzzle falls to pieces I think obviously mm. you don't need competition all over the place I think we only had Darren Dodds uh, Lee Wilkie and Gary Kenneth as our centre halves mm. whereas we had myself Dicker Christian um, at times um, and even at right back we had three or four right backs as well so again you've, you've got to have competition that uh, whichever your manager sees um, the most important positions yeah. at times Yeah and obviously at St Johnston you played under Derek McInnes who's obviously been very successful at Aberdeen what's it like working with Dell? For me Dell's one of the best managers I've worked with I've, I absolutely love my time at uh, St Johnston um, he, he was his man management was second to none his, his tactical awareness the way uh, got you ready for games the way he prepared you the way he spoke to you as an individual the way he spoke to you as groups uh, um, I absolutely loved working for Dell and he's one of the managers that I've always said he's one of the best that I've ever worked with um, and again as I, as I alluded to before him and him and Doc have an unbelievably good relationship and, and bounce off each other really well um, yeah. I think obviously um, again another reason why he's successful is, is because of the relationship he had with, with Doc I mean um, they offered me a new contract in my second year halfway through the season yep. as I said the Dell at that time I didn't want to sign for uh, another year in case that he moved on and obviously hindsight is that he did move on and, and I was right in the decision that I made so yep. um, again I had no feelings towards St Johnson yep. as much as the fans felt like I was lying to them I never did lie to them I always had intentions to go home after St Johnson yeah you played with players like Jody Morris who of course had a super career at, at Chelsea and players like Murray Davidson as well what, what were these guys like because Murray Davidson is an absolute stalwart at St Johnston he's always been very good 
Yeah, Muzz is a very good player. I think mm. obviously when you look at him, he's, he's, he's probably not the prettiest on the eye. Um, and that's that's probably not just on the football pitch, off the pitch as well. So, he, uh, but he was so effective in how we played. Uh, we getting the ball wide, getting deliveries into the box. Him and Jordy had a great relationship uh, on the pitch and complimented each other really well. And then obviously you had the likes of Paul Sheeran, Absolutely. who was a fantastic player. Um, Big Marty Hardy, all these types of players as well. So again, it, it, it was a it was a squad that was fit to compete with some bigger teams in the league at that time. And I think obviously we we beat St. Uh, Rangers one night at McDermott four one. Yes, again, which I believe is uh, the last time I think St. Johnston have beaten Rangers at McDermott Park in recent times. Right, so I still believe I it is. Imagine. Still believe it, it is. Uh, it was a special night. It was because we everything we touched that night was was um, turned into goals. And like you say, yeah. when you look back, it was a special performance that night, and it was something that obviously you remember fondly of. When you get a huge win against Celtic or Rangers, what does that do to a team? Because I, as an Aberdeen fan myself, when I'm, I just I'm so pleased when Aberdeen could take a game to Celtic and Rangers and to beat them is just something that's extraordinary. We talk about it for for weeks on end. Uh, for you guys, winning four one must have been the stuff of legends yeah I think obviously when you you, you pay Celtic and Rangers the respect they deserve they've got all the resources financially they're, they're all set up to be um, well ahead of everyone in, in, in the SPL and again like I've always said that you, you start out every season knowing that you, you're going to try and split them two you've had an amazing season yeah. uh, and I think obviously if we, the realism of that is that is the realism yeah. you've got to try and split them and winning that season and then you're hoping for some silverware um, but as you say there I mean to be able to go beat Rangers 4-1 that night was something that you look back on and you think wow what, what an achievement and, yeah. and again te- testament to us as St Johnson that uh, it was a big result and testament to Rangers is the fact that teams know that if they get results like that yeah. it's, it's something special I always find St Johnston a team that usually are a fairly steady side they're never really in danger of going down but they're never really on the on the echelons of qualifying for Europe on a regular basis do you do you share that sentiment? I do yeah I think St Johnston are, are a good SPL team and I think um, they've got the potential to go mm. Up the way for sure. I think obviously you, you look at the likes of uh, Motherwell, for, for instance. They've, they've got um, a great infrastructure in now, and I think obviously St Johnson have got the potential to do that as well. I think obviously they've got um, a good catchment area, and the fact that they can they can get players from Glasgow, Edinburgh, all over. And yeah. again, I think obviously you've, you've produced your own as well through that side. Obviously, the likes of Stevie May came through the yes. through the youth ranks and and. and a, that side of it as well so again I think obviously um, I, I never ever envisaged St Johnson going down I think even when they were going through that really bad spell through this season I always thought that Tommy Wright was the man to steer yeah. them away from it and I think obviously he's shown that now and I think they've put a few results together and they probably have steered them themselves safe away from the danger Yeah definitely Tommy Wright for me is a very underestimated manager in the Scottish League um, Your time obviously at St Johnston then passed then you moved to Hearts where I certainly remember you kind of making the most impact Tell us what it's like to play for an Edinburgh side because Hearts are a team steeped in history yeah, I think obviously when I left St Johnson, um, my wife was pregnant with my son and we were in talks with Carlisle at the time about going back down the road and, and putting up roots down in, uh, in in Cumbria where we're from and it was something that obviously we were, we were well down the line of speaking to and then obviously the hearts knocked the door and 
want to just sit down and have a conversation and yeah. you don't say no to hearts it's again it's clubs like Car, Tibbs, Mirren, uh, Aberdeen sorry that you look at and you go you know what these are the best of the rest and you've got to make sure that when you get opportunities like that you've, you've got yeah. to take them and I went and spoke to Jim Jeffries and Billy Brown and it was straight away it was yeah. that's it don't I'm happy with that let's go um, so again it was to be able to say that you've signed for a for the Scottish club like Hart it, it is huge I mean you turn up at the training facility every day it's an unbelievable yeah. set up um, and they even got even better obviously since the audience gone there and they're a huge club the fan base is massive you go in the Tyne Castle I mean I'm sure every football fan loves yeah. going to Tyne Castle because of the atmosphere that it yeah, generates. Absolutely, I agree with that's, that. That's no, that's no different from when you, you're a player. Yeah. Um, obviously, everyone goes on Celtic and Rangers, but I always enjoyed playing at Tyne Castle even before I signed for Hearts yeah. because of the atmosphere that it generated. Yeah. Um, so to be able to play for a club like that, I mean, it, it is one of the proudest moments of my, my career as well. Yeah, I mean, I've been to Tyne Castle a couple of times. It's just a fantastic stadium, and you're right, the atmosphere in the place is absolutely sensational. Um, you've had opportunities to play in Europe as well with Hearts. I mean, how different is that in terms of the standard? Because Obviously, that you play in your domestic games week in week out, but obviously in Europe, it's, it must be a fantastic experience for you. Yeah, I mean, you you hear about people talk about European nights and how different they are, and they are so different as a player. Mm. It, it it really is surreal at times. I mean, we played um, obviously we were away at packs in uh, Hungary in our first game, in the first round, and then uh, we got Tottenham at home and. Even nights like that, it is just so special. I mean, Tyne Castle bouncing on a Thursday night for mm. European nights yeah. underneath the floodlights. It's it is it's 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 something completely different, but really special. And it's yeah. memories like that that do feel completely different and, and do give you that real feel of mm-hmm. yeah, this is a this is a big big game. Yeah, yeah. And and when on some of the some of the talent that was at Hearts at that time, players like Rudy Scatchell, Ryan Stevenson, um, you know, players like that. I mean, what was it like that? camaraderie in the dressing room and the players to play with it's just a fantastic set of players yeah I think obviously when you, you walk in the dressing room there and obviously I've been quite used to obviously uh, Gretna Dundee United yeah. uh, since Johnson all had sort of had the Scottish English players in there I walked in and it was full of Spanish lads it had uh, Lithuanian boys yes. Scottish boys it had a bit of everything um, so that, that again was a bit of a surreal feeling there was lads that were speaking um, Suso Santana and um, I think it was David Boo would just sit there and have a conversation in Spanish and it, and it would be like yeah. I wouldn't know what to say mm. you know what I mean stuff like that but I think the, the camaraderie that we had and I think obviously when you look at um, the manager that Jim Jeffries was mm. um, he demanded that camaraderie as well yeah. um, and, and that's something that one thing I would say that I've, I've taken throughout my career is that if you can create a team spirit in a dressing room mm-hmm. it takes you so much further yeah. than just having the talent alone yeah. um, and I think obviously that it, it showed that that year especially obviously we lost Jim Jeffries through um, the change of managers Paolo came in we weren't getting paid there was a lot of things going on in the background yes, that's right. but we pulled, we pulled together as a squad and yeah. ended up going, obviously going on and winning the Scottish Cup final yeah. so being able to to pull together through some of the hardest times I mean yeah. I'd never obviously experienced it before where they were just saying yeah you're not getting paid it, just we'll pay you when, when we can yeah. and, and it, it was worrying it was as, as someone who I just had my, my little boy as well so yeah. all that side of it all became very personal I think yeah. obviously Ryan Stevenson left in the January transfer window to I think he joined Ipswich and players like him Andy Driver um, 
Rudy, they're all very, very important. Yeah. Jim, Jim Hamill, Stephen Elliott's influence, Andy yeah. Webster. Uh, they were all they were all so vital towards being uh, successful, but also sticking together off the pitch. To play in a Scottish Cup final is most footballer's dream. To win a Scottish Cup final is the epitome of a success. But to beat your rivals and to thrash them 5-1 and to score in a final off the cave as a penalty kick, that must be the pinnacle of your career. Yeah, it is. It is. There's, there's no doubt about it. I think, obviously, prior to the game, I mean, we I can remember going into the kit man's room. It was a Saturday, and I think uh, Hibs were playing. I think they were playing Aberdeen in yes. the semi-final, and we were watching the game. And the kit man was going, and Lockie was standing there going, "Oh, Hibs can't win this. Hibs can't win this. Please don't let Hibs win it." And Hibs end up winning it, and then we're like, "Oh, brilliant! If we get through to Scottish Cup." It's a, it's a derby, yeah. and Lock is like this is this is scary. Yeah. We lose this, we never allowed Edinburgh again, mm-hmm. and and you can't realise how much it meant to. Obviously, we knew how much it meant to, to the fans to win the Scottish Cup, but you didn't yeah. realise how much it actually meant to the to the heart of the mm-hmm. um, of the fan base, and then obviously to win it. And then you realise because you have the likes of Lockie, uh, Ian Black, Jamie McDonald, who are all very connected drivers, yes. who are very, very connected to the club, how much of a relief it was for us to win it. And then you see the party and you see what happens and then yeah. you realise, actually, well, it's a good job we've won this. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we, me, and, me, Ryan McGowan and um, ended up in a... Lockie phoned us on the Sunday and says, do you want to come down to one of the supporters clubs? There's a few down there. We're just going to have a few beers and a, a, celebra- uh, a celebratory drink. I was like, me and, Ryan, me and Ryan McGowan were like, yeah, come on, let's go. So we walked into this, um, it's just like an old man's club, and there was about 400 fans in this Brilliant. Uh, place. And I am not joking you, there was just drink everywhere. <laughs> we spent the full afternoon in there, the early evening, and we didn't spend a penny, and I don't think I've ever been that Drunk on life in, in, in my whole life, it was Super. incredible. Uh, but again, it was great because you were able to share yeah. one of the best moments of your career with the fans as well. So, um, I mean, like you said, to to have that moment and then obviously to have my family and my friends were all at yeah. the game as well. It, it, it is something special. And yes, I know a lot of people that I speak to, even the old teammates, go on that are going about that Scottish Cup final yeah. quite a lot. But it, it's worth every second of it. And when you're stepping up to take that penalty at two one, obviously um, the the guy from Hibs Kujabi gets sent off. What do you think? Of just smash it? No, I'll be honest with you. I um, obviously I speak to my dad quite a lot about my football and. The night prior to the game, he said to me, he said, well, if you go to a penalty shootout, where are you going to put your penalty? And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, tell me where you're going to put your penalty, because if you put it there and he saves it, you'll be able to live with yourself. Yeah. He said, if you change your mind and he, and he saves it, you'll mm-hmm. never, ever forgive yourself. So mm-hmm. he says, tell me now where you're going to put that ball. And he says, just put it there. Yeah. So I said, so I just said to him, I'm just going to go to the keepers, right? I'm just going to try not much pace. I'm just trying to get some height on it. Yeah. He said, right, just make sure you do it. So that was that. And we sat at breakfast the next morning on the morning of the cup final. Mm-hmm. Paolo walks. Paolo walks through. This is this is just what Paolo was like. Uh, penalty takers today, Danny. You're going to take penalties. All right, no problem. I just walked past. <laughs> that was it. That that was that's how I knew I was taking penalties in yeah. the cup final. He, yeah. he just literally walked past. As, as blazing as ever just walked past me yeah Danny you're taking penalties today in the final yeah alright no problem so as soon as we got a penalty I just thought right go there just go that position that you said um, so again 
um, obviously as soon as I stepped up and I kind of knew where I was going I, I was setting stone that I knew exactly where I was going mm-hmm. and then that was it yeah. just as soon as I hit it and I seen Mark Brown going the other way I was just so relieved yeah, as well yeah. um, I, I, watched, I, actually... I watched that goal a couple of days ago before preparing for this podcast and I was like oh that, what a great moment I remember watching the game because I think the semi fell did you guys not beat Celtic in the semis? We did yeah, yeah the Craig Beatty we celebration I, I remember yeah, that one really really well scored the last minute penalty yes uh, ran, ran halfway around Camden but if you actually watch the game back um, as Beats scores me Darren Barr Gowser are all running off the beats and me and Darren Barr jump on the brakes and don't go off the pitch because we're both on a yellow card if you get another yellow card yes. and get suspended yes. so we stop on the pitch and Gowser goes chasing him around with the ball at Hampton <laughs> so uh, yeah I mean it was it was incredible I mean the, the, but again that was the camaraderie that they had in the squad that uh, everyone was pulling together and, mm-hmm. and, and things like that as well yeah, and you mentioned Paolo Sergio. I mean, I, I don't, I've never I met the guy. I don't know much about him. What was he like? Because he's obviously very different in terms of style to Jim Jeffries and people like that. But you see, he had a sort of, you know, kind of calm sort of approach and sort of like easy Ozzy. Was that kind of what it was like? Yeah, he was. He's a character, Paolo. Very much a character. Um, I think when he first came in, I think all of the players were were quite upset that. Jim had been sacked. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone had quite a good relationship with him, which I it was harsh. Um, I think the, the season prior to that was the season where Hearts, I think they went about 18 or 19 games unbeaten and then eased off at the end of the season yeah. because they'd already had a qualification for Europe and stuff like that. And then obviously the start of the second season, I think, was one of, third, one of our first five or six games and then Vlad just came in and got rid of him. So yeah. we were all quite disappointed that Jim had left at that point. And then after that, Paolo came in, changed everything regarding our training schedule. Um, there was your midweek day off. Your midweek day off wasn't there anymore, and everything was built around the way we played. As in, everything was shadow play. There was no small side of games, so everything was different. So straight away, you're thinking, "Oh, can can this be right?" And before you know it, the results started turning, and you're doing well and, uh, and a different style and things like that. But after. The, that period of disappointment of obviously losing Jim and then we started picking up results and things like that and you got to know Paolo as a person he, mm. he was he was special he was and even now I still speak to him I was over in Portugal last summer and I was, I was meant to meet up to him but he had a family issue mm-hmm. that we couldn't meet up in the end but it's um, no I mean his, his man management skills yeah. he'd come out and put a head round Jack I remember when we were in town on a, after the semi-final we beat Celtic and he, and he ordered everyone we had to be out in town after the Celtic win and with partners and we were studying one of the pubs in Edinburgh he just walked over to me and just stuck a little headbutt on me and I was just like oh wow what's going on here <laughs> but that was, that was what he was like yeah. he, was just, he was just off the cuff and he was very he was very proud man in what he'd done and how he'd done things but yeah I mean he was one that I think if you speak to any player now will say yeah he, he was a character but mm-hmm. he was one that you would want to go to war with yeah. that's for sure and did you have many dealings with Vladimir Romanov who was obviously in charge of Hearts at the time Um, a couple Nothing personal. It was more as a, as a team that he, he came in prior to a couple of games and um, gave us a little bit of a pep talk, mm. if that's what you, if that's what you want to call it, same yeah. thing. But um, yeah, I mean, it was just again. I went through administration with Gretna, and it, people couldn't help you enough mm. <laughs> when the financial difficulties hit hearts they just didn't seem to be interested and that was the hardest part they, they, just, yeah. they didn't seem to be care about people's families and, and things mm. like that and I think obviously that was a, a, a 
big issue for us because we're all close knit that we all had families and we all had people who we had to look after um, and I think it was hard because um, Marius um, was was very close to the lad and, and sometimes we took it out on Marius and the fact that we were making complaints to him that even he couldn't deal with yeah. it but it was, he was the captain and we had to go through him and, yeah. and that was how, how we had to deal with it everything we were never allowed to deal with uh, Vlad or his businessmen directly everything had to go through Marius um, and but again he was he was someone that obviously was part of Hearts for, for many yeah, years absolutely so you had that spell at Hearts and then a couple of uh, well for a couple of years you were at St. Munnan and Dauphin and I just want to brush over that very quickly I mean you kind of dropping down off that I mean when you have that spy at Hearts when you sort of drop sort of down to a St. Munnan Dauphin level do you almost feel like okay you know, the sort of highlights of my career are, are kind of in the past now and I'm sort of just trying to make my, my way in the game to accommodate for my family? Um, I think what I actually left heart my um, I done my crucial knee ligament oh. um, in the second season mm. um, around November time and um, during that time um, I was I was out of contract in the summer um, and I'd kind of said look I, I need an answer what's happening with me are you going to give me a contract? You're not going to give me a contract. Um, the the, di- the director at the time said, "No, we're not giving you a contract. We've got no money. We can't keep you." At this point, Gary Lock got the job, and Gary was desperate to keep me. He was just overly keen trying to get me to sign something, and the club wouldn't let him. And just sort of said to me, "Look, can you sit it out till the summer?" Um, and that happened, and then he was blocked from signing anyone because of the financial restrictions, yeah. which is understandable. Um, and then, obviously, I went back down to Carlisle. Um, I was going to sign there, and then Danny Lennon phoned me. Um, one of my ex-teammates was at Gretna with me, mm-hmm. and um, invited me up there. So I went up there, trained, uh, and signed there. And unfortunately, it didn't work out. I, I had a bit of a, a disagreement with... Um, with um, the management staff at, at the club at that point and it didn't work and um, unfortunately I, I left the club and again we, we didn't leave on the best of terms uh, probably the only club that I didn't leave on the best of terms mm. with and I, I actually think St Mirren is a great club I, I love the I loved the facilities, I loved the club, I thought the fans were great mm. um, and, and again it, it was no reason that the club, it was just I was in a bad place and I was not enjoying my football yeah. at all and, and to be honest with you at that point I actually thought about just jacking the whole thing in and coming yeah. home yeah. And, and it was actually Jim Jeffries that phoned me and said is this rumour right that I'm hearing that you're thinking about going home and, and retiring type of thing and I said yeah and he said right that's not happening come come to Dunfermline with me and I mm. said look Jim no disrespect you're in league one you, you won't be able to afford my wages and I need, I've got a family I can't just take anything uh, and he just said look we'll sort it and someone actually sponsored sponsored my, uh, me signing for the club and mm-hmm. again I actually fell back in love with Dunfermline and, it, it, and it's a massive club and I didn't really realise how big it was and how good it was and how good the fans are and how loyal they are there because um, it, we were in League 1 at the time and, and they were really getting behind us yeah. so again as answering your question too, uh, does it feel like you best in the past year? For that time at St. Mirren, I did, yes. Uh, but I fell in love with football again when I was at Dunfermline. Yeah. Um, and, and a big part of that was Jim Jeffries. And yeah. again, I can't thank him enough. And I don't yeah. think he realises how much of an impact he's yeah. had on my career. Um, but again, it was something that, yeah, you, you, 
the biggest day of your career is, is when you're at heart clubs yeah. like heart that's, yeah. that, that's the pinnacle of anyone's career and yeah. we know that um, so again uh, at this point it's just a case of enjoying football and, and winning any trophy I've, I like to say I've been lucky I've, I've held the Scottish third division and I've held the Scottish Cup and yeah. the feeling of the feeling of winning is the feeling of winning and that's what you want Yeah, you eventually do make it back home and, and do play for your hometown at Carlisle I mean Carlisle are a club that I look at and when I, well, certainly a few years ago I was always looking for the Scottish players who were playing for the low rank sides and one of them I looked at was obviously Carlisle and yourself I mean what, what's it like to play for your hometown club? Yeah I mean it's Cheesy corners, it sounded. It was a dream come true. I stood on the terraces of Carlisle and watched that club. I've got heroes that um, that have been inside the club for a long time. And um, again, to be able to go and play for them, just one game would have been enough for me. But to obviously play five years, captain mm-hmm. them, um, yeah, it, it was something special. And as much as the Hearts days were, were very high in my year. Um, Days of a, as a footballer, my time at Carlisle was special for for many reasons. Yeah, you made 165 appearances for Carlisle, which is a remarkable accomplishment. And so I'm going to look at some of the other stats here: 69 appearances for St Johnston, 40 appearances for Arts. Is there a defining goal in your career? Because you scored 37 goals, which is quite a high score for a for a fullback. Yeah, I think obviously um, you, you remember a few goals um, at each club. Obviously, I remember my goal, my first goal for Gretna was a Queen of South Wales, a little free kick into the bottom corner. Um, that was my first professional goal. My goals at uh, St Johnson, I scored two in a row at Hamilton with my right foot. Um, my heart's goal against Motherwell and the penalty, your, your Carlisle goal. Um, I scored on my debut for Dunfermline, but special games for me. I mean, I, I scored um, in my first game back last season against Newport County. Mm. Um, last last kick of the game to get us a 3 2 win, so that mm. was obviously a special one. As I turned around, my little fellow was standing in the, in the stand jumping for joy, and he just yeah. caught my eye as I turned around. So, little things like that obviously make make a big difference as well yeah League 2 I've always found is a really competitive league probably more as just as competitive as the Championship in League 1 do you share that sentiment? yeah the competitiveness there is, is massive I think obviously no team wants to drop out of the Football League mm-hmm. and that's that's the big issue is that and, and the things with England is that once you win two or three games, you can quite easily go from the bottom half of the table to on the verge of the playoffs. Yeah. So you're never out. You're never out of it. Um, and I think obviously when teams are fighting to stay in the football league, um, you can soon put a run together that can put you on the verge of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we showed that last season. We were seven games without a win, five games without a goal, and then we went six games. Yeah. winning games and all of a sudden we're starting the playoffs um, so again it, uh, you can soon turn around a bad season um, yeah. against teams in and around yourselves Yeah, and obviously teams like Salford who are coming up through the, the league they've got a bit of backing behind them do you almost feel like you're, you, you play a little bit of the underdog when you're playing against sides like that? Yeah, I think obviously when you, you look at um, some of the teams that were in our division um, over the last few years, obviously Salford have just come into the football league this year that I haven't been uh, come up against, but the Notts County's, your Chesterfields, Sunderland, uh, Salford, sorry, that have a bit of money, it's all a case of recruiting the right people. Yeah. I think obviously when you, again, similar to what I said when I was at Gretna, it's easy, it's easy for a club to have money and flaunt the money and, and, and go and buy as many people as they want, but it's not as easy to get the right yeah, people in the, in the door because if you don't get the right people um, and you try and go ahead of yourself yeah. uh, sort of jump before you can walk uh, you, you can find yourself in deep water and unfortunately mm-hmm. there's a few clubs that have done that I think Salford are doing it right to be honest with you I think they're recruiting the right people the right type of people and 
and they're doing it right as well. Yeah, you had it. You retired, um, and well, middle at start twenty nineteen. Um, did you feel as a player that you achieved as everything that you wanted to do? Did you have any regrets? I never have any regrets. I think um, I, there's been a couple of missed opportunities. Mm. I think obviously when you look back, um, it, uh, there has been missed opportunities for myself. In the sense of uh, maybe playing for a Celtic or a Rangers, or no, I wouldn't say playing for Celtic or Rangers, but maybe a move down south or things like that. Um, at times in your career, where you think. Mm. Which which way should I go? Yeah. Um, crossroads. But I, I I'm a big believer in what's right for me. will never pass me by. Yes. Uh, I'm a big big believer in it. Um, I, I I've got no regrets in any move that I've made. Yeah. I look at things and I always say the grass isn't always greener. Yeah. Um, I've always said that. Um, yeah. That's that's what that's that's something I'll always stick to. I've been lucky. I've been blessed. If someone offered me the day I walked through Gretna the career that I've had, I'd have snapped your hand off. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for me to have that. Um, I'm, I'm very lucky um, I think obviously I've done quite a bit of community work when I was at Carlisle mm. um, I tried to get out of the community when I was at other clubs too because I, I feel like giving back um, is very it's very important when you come in yeah. uh, when you're at clubs because I know how it felt when I was a youngster I had players coming into my school and stuff like that so that was never an issue for me but um, regards to regrets I, d- I don't have any regrets I have uh, I look at things sometimes think that I miss an opportunity there but that obviously wasn't the right thing for me to take because yeah. as I've just said there what's right for me will not pass me by yeah absolutely and, and you're now back in football still your player manager at Workington um, give me a little bit more of an insight to that because I've, I've no real knowledge of this club so working on a part time uh, semi-professional team uh, we're in step 4 uh, they were relegated last year we were uh, currently sitting 10 points clear at the top of the league obviously on course to get the title and promotion back up to step 3 until the coronavirus obviously mm-hmm. uh, took over our season um, our season has now been null and voided and expunged from the record so we have to start again in step 4 next season which is obviously very very disappointing mm-hmm. um, we play um, as far down as sort of Liverpool area yeah. And again, like I say, uh, there's some very, very good players in our level and um, ex-pros yeah. Um, but, but obviously we come up against. Yeah, yeah. I know that. Um, I was. I listened to Talksport quite a lot, and I know that someone like Jamie O'Hara is doing a lot of stuff at Billericay Town and things like. That. Is there more and more ex-professionals wanting to have a crack at management? Do you think? I think to be honest with you, and um, it, it's it's somewhere that you can. Um, you can learn from your mistakes quite quickly. Mm. Um, I think, obviously, um, when you're full-time, um, there's a lot of pressure on you day in, day out, day in, day out, and you've got to make sure that everything's right. I think when you go part-time, you can make a mistake, you can analyse it for a couple of days before you see the people again, and yeah. then you can move on from there. So, um, yeah, I mean, the some of the best advice I've had is that don't look at too quick of making the, the move up the, le- the levels. I'm yeah. still a young manager now. I'm only 33. Yeah. Um, I think obviously, as a manager, you're still young at 38. So I've got a lot of time to, yeah. to learn from my mistakes before I have to push on and move up the ladder. Yeah. Um, I, I said the same when I was uh, starting out my football career. I want to play as high as I can. And I, yeah. I played obviously at some amazing clubs, and I want to manage at amazing yeah. clubs. And yeah. um, I think obviously the club that I'm at the moment working, they've been fantastic with me since I joined them. Yeah. My last question for you, because we're just coming to the end of the the podcast um, Danny I've really enjoyed our conversation and a, a real de- a trek down memory lane um, what does the future hold for yourself and obviously your, your family as well I think um, obviously as I've just said now I want to progress up the football ladder as a, as a manager I've got my own 
um, football academy at the moment. We've got 120 kids in our academy. Uh, we've got our own training base that um, we've built ourselves. And we're obviously trying to help the next generation push through into the yep. professional game. We, we play against professional teams. We've been up to Hearts. We've been up to Glasgow Rangers. We've been to Sunderland, Newcastle. Trying to get all these lads an opportunity to play at these places and showcase themselves. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and that's obviously from under nine right the way through up to under 16s. And then, um, obviously, that, that's, that's our aim is to keep making that grow alongside obviously becoming a better manager and a, and a better coach um, yeah. I think obviously my family have, have supported me from day one and um, I've been very lucky that my parents and my uh, sisters have been behind me from day one and obviously my wife and my kids have been there since obviously we've got together and any of your kids going to take after you? <laughs> My little fella's um, he, yeah, he's a good player to be honest with you. He's just he's just on the verge of signing for Carl United. Brilliant. Academy, so, uh, so one to keep yeah, an eye on. He's, he's one to keep an eye on. But uh, no, it, it's like see, I've always said. People often say to me, "You're going to be a bushy one." I don't. I just want him to enjoy football. Absolutely. Uh, the, the time to push will come when it when it becomes right. But uh, no, it's he, hopefully he can go and enjoy as much football as I've enjoyed over my career. Danny, it's been a real pleasure chatting you. Thanks very much for being a guest on the Campbell's Fools podcast. I've enjoyed it. No problem at all. Thanks very much for having me. Cheers. Well, listener, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Campbell's Footballs. I hope this podcast was just what the doctor ordered. If you want to listen to previous shows or look out for future shows, follow Campbell's Footballs on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to other podcasts. You can also follow the show on Facebook at Campbell's Footballs, Search for me, StatoG91, on Instagram or other social media channels. But until then, until next time, I hope you enjoyed the crack and enjoy Campbell's Footballs. What a dangerous night.